Good morning. This past week, I had the wonderful, much needed, far too long overdue spiritual retreat with my dear friends, the Trappist monks of Mepkin Abbey, just north of Charleston in South Carolina. Most of you should remember that Mepkin is where I spent a month of my sabbatical back in that glorious, wonderful year that was 2019. And though I've wanted to go back numerous times, because of COVID, my first time back was this last week after two years. What I discovered almost from the second I arrived on Monday and was immediately welcomed back by everyone at the monastery is that time definitely moves differently in a monastic community. In so many ways, it felt a whole lot like I'd only been away for a couple of weeks rather than a couple of years. And in addition to renewing friendship with all the monks, I also instantly found myself falling somehow back into the rhythm of monastic life, waking up, believe it or not, at 3.40 a.m. every morning, walking through the darkness to take part in the first vigil prayers of the day, and then making it seven more times throughout the day to pray with the monks, all while living, eating, and moving in silence for nearly all of my time. And I have to tell you, after the year and a half that all of us have been through, it was really just what your priest needed desperately. Some time to be in the silence and presence of God and to be able to worship myself after all that we've been through. One of the other things that I got to do last week, more than I've certainly been able to do in a very long time, is read. As I always tend to do when I go on any kind of retreat, I packed up a whole stack of books in my car to take with me for the week, only to arrive at Mepkin and suddenly remember that the monastery has the best religious library I've ever seen outside of a seminary. The prior of the monastery, my dear friend and spiritual director, Father Kevin Walsh, was kind enough to give me my very own key to the library. And I spent a good deal of my first couple of days just digging through all the shelves and checking out and carrying to my room a whole stack of books. And from the moment I sat down, turned on my desk lamp and opened my first borrowed copy of the beautiful autobiography of St. Therese of Lisieux and the book I grabbed on Thomas Merton and the Eastern Christian tradition of hesychism, I had to stop right there, dig through my bag, and find the most recent acquired and essential reading tool I have in my life. Exactly, Rick. My reading glasses. (laughs) You see, it wasn't until about two years ago that I first started reading something and realized that I sort of had to hold it farther away from me, that that the closer that the book was to my face, the more cloudy and fuzzy the words became. I wondered, what's going on? Am I going blind? Should I be worried about this? And then one afternoon while I was having lunch, as I was describing this strange development in my personal life to our current senior warden in Verger, he delivered the truth to me that I had to accept. He said, Donovan, I hate to tell you this, but after you turn 40, your whole body starts going to pot. (laughs) And your eyes are the first things that you will begin to notice. 
Then he gave me the solution. He said, just go out and buy a few pairs of cheap reading glasses and you'll be okay. Now, at first I tried to just tell myself, as I often say about our senior warden, what does Rick really know? But it never really got better. And so one day when Audrey and I were at Target, I did it. I bought my first pair of reading glasses. Probably paid a whole lot more than I would have if I'd gone to Dollar Tree. But when I got home and put them on, I was suddenly amazed by just how good everything looked again. Everything on the page of the book was clear and perfect. I could even see all the the crisp bumps and and, and all the stuff that you see on, on the page of a book. And then I picked up my fancy iPhone and I was overwhelmed by just how colorful and precise the screen was. It was like seeing it for the very first time. I thought to myself, my goodness, this is why this phone costs so dang much. Look at that perfectly clear, vivid, high definition screen. It was incredible. But then it was also depressing because I realized that Rick was right. My eyes just weren't what they used to be. But when you put on those reading glasses, I know all of you know for the first time, and see the world up close or far away or whatever it is you need your glasses for, with a new clarity and perfection and understanding, it just suddenly seems to bring everything back to life again. It is as if the fog suddenly starts to clear and the sunlight is revealing things that you either never noticed before or maybe you just forgotten had been there in the first place. Friends, today is the church's annual celebration of the Holy Trinity, the one God who is in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I think many of us can agree that Trinity Sunday is certainly a time when the whole Christian world suddenly feels like it's getting a little foggy. I mean, we all know that we are monotheists, that we believe in just one God. We know that we are not like the polytheist pagans of the ancient world who believed and worshipped a God of the sun and a goddess of the moon and a whole plethora of other gods and goddesses lesser and greater for just about everything on earth and in heaven. For us, we are a people whose faith began with Judaism. So therefore, there has only ever been one God who created us and oversees the universe and made us in God's own image. That's the easy part. But for us as Christians, there is also this knowledge of God the Son, God incarnate, God revealed in human form in the person of Jesus Christ. And then there's this Holy Spirit, which we sure do like, especially on a Sunday like last Sunday, the day of Pentecost. But most of the rest of the time, if you're just honest with yourself, do you really understand exactly what the Holy Spirit even is? I mean, back in the days of my beloved King James Version of the Bible, the third person of the Trinity was always referred to as the Holy Ghost, which certainly didn't help kickstart this whole Trinity thing for us in the English language, considering what the word ghost tends to mean for us in our present minds and cultures. So what are we as Christians supposed to do? Do we believe in one God or do we believe in three? This is, of course, where the fog and the fuzziness begins to set in. 
Of course, the easy thing for a good preacher to do on this day is just tell you that, honestly, that it's pretty much the truth, that the whole Christian understanding of the Trinity is at its core a mystery. But before we go into the mystery, let me just give you one other possible way that might help us all understand this great Trinitarian mystery of the one true God and three persons joined together in unity. First, we have to start by just remembering that even though we do have all this great science and knowledge and technology and fancy 4D smartphones, when it comes to the world beyond this one, to the spiritual world, we're still just humans. Sure, we people of faith know for sure that God created this universe, but that really doesn't help us understand or see all the details of God fully, does it? In fact, the very word that we use in the English language to name and describe this divine creator is abstract. God, that's it. We know that God is all those omni-words, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, but everything else has always been fuzzy for us at best. A lot of, in a lot of ways, I see it almost like the 47-year-old me going to a Mexican restaurant with very limited knowledge of Spanish with my eyes starting to go bad and then trying to read that small print of the menu to know exactly what I'm ordering. I can see and understand the big words. I know what an enchilada is, but I can't make out exactly what is in it or what goes on top of it. And because of my inability to read that important description, which may be in a language I couldn't understand fully anyway, I don't know the details, what, what it would taste like or how good it actually is for me or more importantly, how it might impact my body after I eat it. Now, I know that it may sound to you like I'm trying to compare God to an enchilada this morning, which maybe isn't the best example of the Trinity I've ever come up with. But really, what I'm trying to say is that this is just how it can be for us human beings when we have to deal with God, something that is so much beyond our mental and sensory capabilities and intellect. God is too great. God is too incredible. God is too divine for us to ever fully be able to put into our sad and small languages. Just look at how the early Israelites tried to do this when they described God in the Old Testament. They did the best they could, mostly painting out God as the greatest of we ourselves. But really, does God have an arm to outstretch over his people or an ear that he can incline towards us or a face that he can turn against our enemies? Not so sure about that. God isn't human. So arms and ears and a face, even gender-related pronouns are at best just a way of trying to describe something we can never, ever understand completely. Never understand completely, that is, until Jesus was born. And Jesus came and lived among us. And Jesus died on that cross and then rose again from the dead and finally ascended up into heaven in front of us. Jesus, brothers and sisters, was God's way of finally fully revealing God's self to all of his beloved creation. The incarnation of God here on earth in Jesus Christ was like humanity finally going out and accepting the fact that we need to get some good reading glasses. Jesus, God with us, 
finally cleared the fog, allowing all of humanity to see and understand God, the creator of the universe, clearly and in high definition. For Jesus was God walking in the midst of creation, in the person of God best described for us only as the only begotten Son. Fully God, but also in that moment, fully human. For us to wrap our minds and our hearts around as completely and as fully as possible. And then once Jesus did return to the heavenly realm, back to God's self, Jesus, who is God, poured out even more of that love that he had restored and that had brought God to be with us in the first place in the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of God that now continues the reconciliation of God with creation and keeping God's great and tremendous love alive and moving to set our hearts on fire and to guide God's people to share that love with everyone. Brothers and sisters, as complicated and mysterious as we tend to view God in three persons on Trinity Sunday, the honest truth, I believe, is that this great Trinitarian understanding of God is just one more great revelation of a God who is, at God's core, love. Love, as we know, has to move and intimately interact in that cosmic dance that engages everything that can come in contact with it and transform everything into that love. God is so great that his very word took on flesh and spirit in order to better engage, share, and spread that love with the whole of creation. That's why I believe on Trinity Sunday, we're hearing again the story of Nicodemus, called by God to be born in the spirit, concluding with that summary verse of our entire faith from John's gospel, and really the summary of our faith from the entire New Testament, John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. There we hear the words of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I invite you, brothers and sisters, to read that verse again on this Trinity Sunday morning. But read it this time with those Trinitarian glasses of God's complete and absolute love that's interacting and moving and engaging us into action. See and take in those precious words with this new resolution. And I believe God's great love will be more clearly revealed and clarified and set into our hearts, not just for the salvation of each of us, but for the salvation and restoration of this whole world that right now needs God's love more than ever before. In the name of the one true God, who was and is and is to come, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.